All right, Daniel, we've just seen United beat Aston Villa for the second time in a month. Pretty good. How are you? Yes. Yeah, good. Yeah, we did. I think we'd have all took that, as Ryan Giggs would say. And yeah, there was some stuff to like and some stuff to like yeah. less. But they're finding ways to win games, to win football matches now. That's the improvement, isn't it, on not winning them? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. It's my deep analysis. Yeah, it's, it was odd. Because you, you come in, late goal should be really exciting, is exciting. I mean, you know, I stole that one in many ways, didn't they? But they set up in a kind of fashion that you just don't, you wouldn't expect a team chasing a Champions League place to do, really, which was basically play quite deep and then hit balls over the top into the channels, which is a perfectly valid tactic against an Aston Villa side that plays very high up the pitch. And it, it, Word for United, won the game. Yeah, I think one thing I, I've kind of noticed the last few games is whenever, like, in the day of the game or the day before a game, like, one of my mates would always send each other a message like, team today or whatever, question mark. And we're not doing that at the moment because more or less, yeah. you know what team's going to be. And that is, that is progress. I mean, there's obviously still issues in the team, but just that continuity of selection is... And I'm not blaming Ten Hag for the lack of it before because he kept getting injuries, but just that that continuity of selection is is really helpful. And we because you're getting players who are building relationships with each other, but also who are probably playing under a little bit less stress and that they're, they're more relaxed in the team. But also they know that they're in the team now, and that it's not a matter of one bad half an hour you get subbed at half time and then you're not seen for a few more weeks. So. Yeah. I mean, it's also, did you hear Ten Hag gives an interview before and he's contorting himself trying to explain that actually both Maguire and Baran are the greatest left centre-back that ever lived? Yes. <laughs> After the, the fuss he made, I mean, I didn't totally understand the fuss about that in the first place, that neither of them is a left centre-back. I mean, they both would prefer to play on the right, but we're talking about what, like 10 yards of space? And yeah, it's better. It's nice to have a left footer, but I mean, the Dutch managers love it, but it feels to me like a nice to have rather than the central. Yeah, I haven't been bought into this idea that either Maguire or Varane can't play left centre back because of the passing angles. I, I do think there's a different question around United's ability to build up a little bit quickly and and change the pace of that build up. So it is very one paced with either or both of them in the side. And, and and that's not their fault, really. That's just the players they are. And they are not Martinez in terms of like making those angled passes through into midfield and doing it very quickly, which he does do. And United have been screwed all season by the lack of Martinez. First of that broken foot and now shattered knee, which is really deeply... Out- shattered. <laughs> it's like torn on the meniscus. <laughs> Slowly a flesh wound. <laughs> You're like the opposite yeah, yeah. of the Black Knight. Yeah, so I mean that's not Hen Hag's fault. Other stuff is, and I mean I, he, I, I think I said on Twitter he he doubled down on the thing that doesn't work, which is putting Scott McTominay into midfield. Although he didn't play in midfield, he made four passes in his 23 minutes on the pitch and had one shot, which was a goal. Which I guess if you're going to gamble on Scott McTominay-ness pulling off, you know what Scott McTominay does, then. Then Eric won. He, 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 it turned out exactly right. But it's it's one of those things that we know is completely unsustainable. But in this game, completely worked. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily it's unsustainable. Like when he made that change and it felt, 
I thought that the commentators were busy banging on about how United needed to win. I didn't think that. We needed to not lose. But would you back United to get... Would you back against United? What would have the gap been with, with a draw? Would it have been... Um, well, nine. Six, five points. Nine points. Like, obviously, it's, it's, it's good that we won, but I think that we might have been able to close that gap with a, with, with a, with a draw. Not Probably not with a defeat. But I thought that when he, I thought that when he brought McTominay on, I thought the reason he brought him on was because we were starting, we, were need, we needed something in midfield. We'd already conceded from one set piece. So getting some physicality, someone who can head the ball on the pitch also made some sense. And also, he scores goals. And yeah. I felt like at that point in the game, we were just as likely to score from a ball into the box as we were from Rashford doing something. And so although I thought he played okay, I wouldn't necessarily have taken him off. And if we'd have had <coughs> some other attacker on the bench, maybe he wouldn't have brought on McTominay if he'd have had some proper quality on the bench. But it felt like when he did it, I felt like I genetically or whatever, I'm programmed to be like, what the fuck is this? But because I want United to win games, playing great football, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't feel like we were less likely to score when he came on. I actually thought when he came on, we looked much more like we were going to than we had done previously when we were under it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, he basically played up front, right? So his average position for those 23 minutes is the highest player on the pitch. And and so that's that's the gamble. There's the, the gamble was that he is the man who's going to get in the right positions to score a goal. It wasn't, as Gary Neville said, to come on and try and get some control over the game. United didn't try and control the game. They just sat deep and narrow for those that last 20 minutes, which is a perfectly valid tactic. It's not one that wins you leagues, or at least hasn't been since Blackburn won in 1995. But that's where we are at the moment. We're a, we're a very inconsistent side right. that's not playing great football, and Ten Hag is a pragmatic manager who's who's doing what he can. And And the fact is, there's four wins in a row. And you can't, it's hard to argue against that, isn't it? I mean, it's United's best run of the season by miles. Yeah, also, I wouldn't totally agree that you can't win the league playing that way. You can't win the league playing that way in every game. But most teams that win the league will have to play that way to get a result occasionally. So having the ability to do it is actually actually quite useful. And I thought that one of the things that have been, been pleasing me the last few weeks is we're not boring anymore. It's a, like we were involved in some fucking stinking games this season. Some all right ones as well. Often that ended us with us getting beat. But I felt like we got to a point in the last season where United went to win, went to try and win every single game. And if it was crap, it wasn't because they were trying to make it crap on purpose, which three of the four post-Fergie managers were literally doing on purpose. Mm. And it is now the case that we're starting to participate in some actual fucking football matches. And that, that is really pleasing. And you can see in the process that it's building um, the, the, the team spirit and the mentality that the way not just that they're celebrating their goals, but the way they're celebrating their defensive actions. <laughs> when did this become a word? Like, I, I guess if it one of the words that was basically brought into football by people speaking a second or a third language. I- to, to like doing being in a good moment and doing good actions and shit like I, this. I, it might in this case it might be opta i mean it, it's always been difficult to describe what a defender does doesn't it and, and then when you're trying to put a label on it for data collection it's a defensive action but i mean talking of the defensive actions i it is not victor lindelof's fault that he was brought on a left back but i felt i felt like you just had to put him out of his misery i mean you'd take him to the glue factory wouldn't you and 
just put the screen around him and shoot him, the poor lad. It, like everything was going wrong. It got to the point where he was trying to make a pass and fluffing every single one. And I, I was like deeply sorry for him and deeply unfortunate for United because it, it completely screwed up the momentum, didn't it? In that first, that second, the, the 20, first 20 minutes of the second half. Sure is off and, and suddenly United you know, can't build up down the left anymore. And yeah. So anyway, the defensive actions on Victor Lindelof were mainly to pass the ball out to a Villa player and leading to uh, one of Villa's 23 shots in the game. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the problems that we have now is we're still an injury away from Maguire and Lindelof. Yeah. One injury away from one of Maguire and Lindelof and two injuries away from the other. And it's taken fucking two games. To the James to get there, back to Maguire and Lindelof. It's like some kind of weird version of Mornington yeah. Crescent. It, uh, Maguire and Lindelof. Yes, and 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 equally it's long running as well. I think, isn't it? Maguire and they, they played about five hundred <laughs> games for United between them. Unbelievably, it is unbelievable how many games Victor Lindelof played for United. But I, I mean, I, I thought that we played quite. We started to get. We started to start games well. And this is extremely encouraging that they're actually aware of the fact that competitive sport is taking place <laughs> when it's taking place. And this was something that had eluded them for quite some time, that they're starting games properly and they're getting goals yeah. early in games now because of it. Whereas previously they'd sort of, well, we're not going to bother doing that. We're not going to try and score for the first half hour or so. And often by that point, we'd, we'd be trailing. But I thought that, yeah, we could have we scored before we did. And what we're seeing, I'm really enjoying the development of Garnacho, mm. who is a proper footballer now. He is, and it's completely changed United's attacking sort of dynamic, hasn't it? Having two players that will attack. And, and with Garnacho on the right, actually deliver balls into the, the centre as well, uh, because he doesn't solely cut inside when he's playing out there. Uh, I mean, com- completely different. And... Not to bash away at my other agenda, which is Anthony, but... I'm sorry? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it, yeah. I'm bashing away at Anthony. He's got an absolutely massive agenda. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dearie me. I mean, maybe that's why Ten Hag played, paid 100 million for him or whatever it was. I was talking about, I was talking about Big Ed Ball. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's it. I am massive in my own little world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it completely changes United's attacking... Like just the way United attack, doesn't it? Having two players who will run and then Hoyland through the middle who will run into channels and he's scoring strikers' goals as as he did with the first one. A simple goal from seven yards out. It feels like it's been a, a very long time since we've actually had a player that does that. Oh, 100%. I've got exactly that on my notes. Strikers' goal. We're going to do Hoyland for, in the bonus content, so I guess we should put him down here. But talking about the forward line, all three of them have pace. And all three of them can run yeah. with the ball. And two of them, I think Hoyland and Garnacho, are really decisive when they're on the ball. Rashford, you feel like he's got, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Whereas what I like about Garnacho is even when he's making the wrong decision, he commits to it and he does it. Rashford, you're kind of thinking, should he do one more weave? Should I duck inside? Is he going to shoot? Like, and it feels like he's not really sure himself until it happens. One thing that's annoying me about, about Garnacho, though, is he hits the bar off with that shot against Newport. And he's now putting balls across when perhaps he shouldn't. And I felt like the grief he got for not putting that one across was marginal. Like, it sat really nicely to hit. He absolutely twatted it near the ball. So, and when I know that hitting it square for the tap-in, in in theory, is a really good way of playing football. I hated it when Wenger's Arsenal did it. 
and they kept scoring tap-ins because it makes sure of, it makes turns like, well, like a 60% or a 70% into a 95%. But with these, I sort of worry that asking them to do any more than the necessary gives you another, another margin of error situation. So, and he did it again, like he, where he crossed it, where it just it didn't seem there was any way he could get the ball through. But when, before we scored, he looked like he was going to be the person who was going to make something happen. When before we scored the second goal, I mean, that, that wasn't how it turned out in the end, but it's very noticeable that he's not the one really that gets taken off these No, and not, nor should he be. I mean, he's just he's just marginally better finishing away from being a, a player who regularly scores more than 20 a season, isn't he? He's And his finishing's it, good. I quite it's like good. His it's finishing. Just, there's just some inconsistencies. I mean, today, a couple of chances came when he switched back over to the left. Oh, that yeah. was annoying. The one where he dips back, when he dips yeah. back inside, but... There was a shot that he bent just past post, didn't it? Didn't he as well? And yes, yes. It looked, and but he's he just he's 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 always composed. He doesn't even even if he's doing the wrong thing, he doesn't panic, and he he makes a choice and he commits to it. And that, as you say, is is that's going to get him that ability is going to get him quite a lot of goals. I think. I mean, he might need to move back to the left to get as many as he could get, but. From the right, he's still a massive goal threat. Yeah, and certainly more than Anthony. I mean, again, because this is the option, not not getting back to the agenda. He's just he's going to have. He's got as many league goal. He's got as many league goals and assists as us, hasn't he? Anthony, yeah, that's right. Uh, and we haven't got all the other problems that go with him. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't speak for you, Daniel, but I'm going to assume <laughs> that that is the case. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, look, and Anthony is a ten hug sacking away from a loan to Sevilla or something like that, isn't he? And one of the many, many problems that they will have to look to sort out under the new management this summer, because it's going to be probably United's busiest summer ever in the in the transfer market, I would imagine, in terms of squad turnover. I mean, but for now, I feel a lot more confident in that attacking lineup to do something. Today, it was all about transitions and finding space. And as we said, Villa play a really risky game, which is not quite working for them at the moment. I mean, they're 23 shots today. A lot of that is because they do play high, so high up the pitch and compress the compress the space and United couldn't play out and they got quite a lot of turnovers. But the flip side of that coin is they just left so much sp- space behind. And for our attacking players, and, and as a result, and partly because it's Bruno, but partly uh, as a result of the way Villa played, Bruno had created eight chances today. Eight. So, which is only one player, Alfie Doughty, don't even know who that is, has created more chances in a single game right. than Bruno did today. And that's the thing with Bruno. Again, like, I thought he was quite solid today. Like, he put in a shift without being devastating in the way that he can. And he's still creating eight chances. I can't name <laughs> them. But maybe that's just because I'm old. I don't know. But what I, what I also thought I'm starting to like about this team is, especially in the first half, we're starting to double team opposition players. Pre-earlier in the season, it always looked like the other team had more players mm-hmm. than us. That they were somehow getting two and three men around us whilst finding space themselves. And I felt like today was the other way around. And You talked about the 23 shots that Villa had. It wasn't very often I felt like these are going to score, I'm concerned. Yeah, they slightly out-XG'd us, but not by a massive amount. And I mean, a lot, a lot of that was in the first half when they found the gap in the, the space between Dallo and Varane, and neither of them, Dallo or Varane, could kind of sort that out. And because Garnacho doesn't really do a lot of tracking back, 
there was always a two-on-one. And they, they managed to close that, close that space down, I think, by pulling Kobi Mainu into a slightly deeper position in the second half alongside Casemiro. So they had that proper pivot and stopped the supply line going through. Mind you, can we, can we talk about can we talk about Casemiro's yellow card, which was entirely based on reputation, wasn't it? Because there was like clear blue water between Casemiro and Matty Cash. I mean, it's a meme now, isn't it? Casemiro's reaction, which we're going to see forever. But I mean, come on. It's, uh... Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it, it was ridiculous. But I thought that he he having him there is making us better. I want more from him. And something that really bothered me today was how many balls Villa were able to pass through the middle of the pitch, like through the centre circle to get yeah. attacks going. And it's better than what we have had, which is 17 opposition dickheads charging yeah. through all together while, while we don't seem to have any defenders on the pitch. But we seem to let a lot of easy balls into midfield and may knew him, Bruno, is the best midfield that we have, but it's not, it's, it's not the answer. And I don't know, we need to find a way... Of getting Mainu on the ball more and playing as a number eight it's sort of harder for him than if he's playing as a number six where the ball sort of almost automatically goes to him because today when he was on the ball he was yeah. excellent I just felt like he was in, he, he faded in and out and that will come also with experience learning what positions on the pitch yeah. to take up just, it's such an underrated quality just being in a position that enables you to get right. on the ball it's not just people passing it to you it's sometimes it's just standing still but being able to get on the ball is a skill because you have to, yeah, just you have to understand how the game is going to progress. Sure. And he's, he's good and he'll, he'll get better. And also his role again in the winning goal shows us exactly oh, yeah. why he's not number six. Just beautiful feet. Again, he, his, his awareness and the softness of his feet is just fantastic. The, his progress this season, and we kind of expected it, right? Because we were banging on about it from pre-season. But his progress means... Probably even from the season before last, though, because I, yeah. I remember that if I keep saying this, the first time I saw him play, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy, and he's, yeah, I mean, I haven't been as certain as I probably said this as well as anyone since either Adnan Yamasai or James Wilson. <laughs> or Ra- but, Ravel uh, Morrison, yeah, it's, uh, well, he's, well, that's exactly what he is. He's the Ravel Morrison we didn't yeah. have. It- and Ravel Morrison was the last, I haven't seen even many midfield players anywhere, never mind for United, who, are that complete at so mm. young an age. Pedri, maybe, is one. But Ravel Morrison was another. It was just unbelievable how he could do everything and also have, have, had the brain as well. And, yeah, I mean, I had someone telling me on Twitter recently that Pogba was better in the youth team than Ravel was. That is no. not true. Pogba was what in the youth team what he is now, and we hoped he'd get better. He was someone who could do amazing stuff but was in and out, and we hoped that with experience he'd become a different kind of player. And Ravel Morrison was the player that he always was, and the player that Cobby Mainly was someone who is able to be much more involved in the game because they can do so many different mm-hmm. things, and they've got such such drive. Yeah. And yeah, his, I mean, the, the winning goal was a belter. He, I mean, it was kind of one of one of those goals. It's not like oh my god, what an amazing goal! But it's the kind of goal that you never really see in the football that we'll have played in because the actual skills are just so difficult, like cross header, like you just. You almost never see them at those kinds of levels, but, but at professional level, it looks almost de rigueur. But the execution of just those three things perfectly—the Mainu, Mainu, Dallo, and then Abitomine—were yeah. just perfection, all of them. Absolutely, and and I mean, it's one of the reasons why Kobe Mainu has such a 
high ceiling. I mean, just executes everything absolutely brilliantly. I mean, I think you're right. He will get... Are you calling him a short <laughs> Yeah. He, I think you're right. He will get um, increasingly... I, I mean, he had like 50-something touches today. As he understands space better, he's going to nudge that up to 100. We haven't had a midfielder that is able to regularly get 100 passes in a game since Michael Carrick. And Scott McTominay regularly gets like a fifth of that because he doesn't know where to stand on the pitch. Basically, but but as I was just to complete my thought, I mean his his rise, expected rise, is one of the reasons why United should go dump a load of money on a number six, not a number eight this summer. If we keep McTominay as the kind of special teams player to come on the end for desperate measures, we've got a lot. We've actually got quite a few number eights, and it's it's Casemiro's replacement that we need desperately more than anything. There was a report in the press in the Spanish press this week saying United back in for Frankie de Jong there's about 20 reasons I can give you why that is absolutely not true and someone should club Ten Hag to death with that report if it's him pushing that I I suspect it's just agent talk but you know one of the reasons is Kobe Main is there why buy another player who's who's basically plays the same position between six and eight and yeah I mean I think if you're getting Frankie if you were then I would feel like you probably got to get rid of Bruno yeah, maybe the case here. Yeah. If you were, I mean, I, I'm sure it's nonsense, but I just, just seeing as, because if you were to have, if you're getting Frankie and Maynou and they're your six and your eight, then you're a possession team. Yeah. And it may be that you could have Bruno as a 10 in the possession team, but it may also be that you, what you actually need is someone who just run, someone who runs about to that extent, but just little passes, keep him play going. And maybe it'd be, maybe it'd be more that, that kind of thing. But, one thing that it is nice to see is also, because it should have always been like this with these players, however, whatever's going on at the back, that you now have to should have to score twice to get a draw against United. This team should score twice in every game, mm-hmm. really. And it it feels like, well, that, that they are they are they are starting to score now and they actually they look like they they look like they're going to score and they look like they know they know how to score. That mm. they have options and ideas. Well it's ridiculous that Villa have basically scored 20 goals more than United. I mean, that that, that can, just cannot be the case with, when you look at the players on the pitch. And, and it's taken ton, Ten Hag a long time to work out how to get something out of the, these forward players. And and yeah, as you said, we're going to talk about Hoyland a little bit more. But I, I think a lot of the fact that Hoyland's now scored, what, in, is it five games in a row he scored? He scored a lot anyway. And it, a lot of it has to do with not just his personal progression, but the way the team is set up now to be a little more attacking-minded going forward and have a bit of a better balance in that forward line and not have one of the three players. Well, you had one, Marcus Rashford, horribly out of form, didn't know what to do with the ball any time got it. And another, Anthony, who takes six touches and go, then goes backwards and slows everything down. And, and now you don't have that. You have Marcus in some semblance of form and, and Garnacho well, able to deliver and, and create both ways, inside and out. Yeah, I think the thing with Rashford is that he's got so much natural talent that he's fast, he's strong, he can shoot, he can go both ways, he can see a pass, not always, but when he does, but yeah, he is, he does, he can see a pass. It's more the simple stuff that he sometimes struggles with, I think. But if you put him in a good team, then that is very different. Because if you put him in a bad team, he'll end up frustrated, he'll sulk, he won't put, necessarily put the shift in. But if you put him in a good team that's playing well, that's getting him on the ball, like this team is now, like they're not even good yet, they're, they're better, then then he's a, or immediately going to be a different player just because his natural abilities are so strong that 
you're just yeah, like you put a strong, fast, skillful attacker into a team that's playing well, then <laughs> that will that would be good. And I think one of the things when we, I felt like we could have, we should really have made more better chances. It's just there's still that sort of lack of imprecision too often, where United had quite a lot of good situations and they didn't really make Villa defend mm -hmm. them. There'd just be a wrong decision or a poor pass, mm -hmm. and it won't, it won't, it won't be like that in every game. But it was, I found that quite frustrating in the second half that we did make quite a lot of good situations. We just weren't able to do anything with them. Yeah, that 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 win has taken us up to zero goal difference, and yeah, we. I mean, look, fourteen games left. There's, we are now what five behind Villa and six behind Spurs. Fifth will probably get a Champions League place. It's not guaranteed. I think they said on Sky it was a seventy something percent. Yeah, chance. and it, and it would yeah. take. It would take all of United's champions, sorry, all of the Premier League's European performances to be really crappy from here on out to not keep the Premier League's coefficient. It's like, as it stands, I think... It's absolutely nuts, isn't it? Sorry, just a quarter of the league are going to be in the champions. Yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah. It's a whole other discussion, isn't it? What the Swiss model is going to look like. I think we'll do that as a bonus content at some point. But what Swiss model? So the the new Champions League format is that yeah, that was that oh, was sorry. a joke. I thought you were talking about a girlfriend. Oh. Yeah, big Ed. Yeah, I don't think the wife listens to this, so it's all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't think? I'm absolutely certain that my wife does. She's never to professed to, so I suspect not. I know for two reasons. One, because I just know that she wouldn't, but also I've never had a. Daniel about this particular <laughs> thing amongst the many Daniels I receive over the course of an hour. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so anyway, like it's it's not that many points to make up now. Uh, it's can United get enough consistency over the next fourteen games to get enough points? I mean, we're on forty-one. Another thirty would pretty much guarantee it. I think. 30 out of 14 games. I mean, it's doable, isn't it? We're, sc we're scoring yeah. goals. I mean, we and all the difficult games are at home as well. City, City Liverpool and Arsenal, all at mm -hmm. home. Hopefully, our Arsenal's towards the end as well. Hopefully, they'll have won the league with them and they'll just be on the piss. But yeah, I think that we still do have this control issue sometimes, but Villa are one of the better teams in the league. We controlled it for 20 minutes against them. And I guess some sort of credit where it's due, when they started to sort of get on top of us, we did have a period where we passed the ball quite sensibly and it looked like they kind of understood that this was a point at which they needed to just stick in there. And they, they did do that for a bit. We should also, I guess, say, because he's the, the person who would, who I guess I'm the most terrified about ruining it all for us is Onana. And he was good today, relatively speaking. Yeah, a couple of moments where he gave Lindelof a dodgy pass in the second half, but I made a couple of good saves, including one that was, was it Douglas Luis who came through and, or Ramsey, I can't remember which one, but that's an excellent save. And yes, I mean, he is terrifying because he's just not very consistent. But that's, we talked about him a lot. That's what we're going to get from him. Yeah, that's what we're going to get from him now. But can we have some fucking passing, please? And maybe this, I'm sure this isn't always faults, the angles and whatever, but now the players in this team, I mean, even without Shaw and Martinez, we should be able to see something from him. And I guess while we're on the subject of people who weren't that bad, Dallow was also quite good today. And we shouted him out last, last week as well. He 
He's been quite good the last few weeks. And I think this is another example. It's not the same as what I was saying about Rashford, but it's not dissimilar. That if you're quite, if you're quite good, you can have a player who isn't the class of what you would, what you would ideally want, but who can do some stuff. And then they'll, then it won't look dreadful. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're crap and you've got a player who is, who you think isn't good enough or isn't ready or is in bad form, then it will look appalling. Whereas Ballet's been good the last few weeks and he has some abilities. And still, yeah, it seems unlikely he's ever going to be quite good enough, but he's playing with confidence and he, he's got a real good desire. I, I, look, I, th- I think there's a lot of improvements he's made to his game this season. I mean, mostly on the possession side of things. I think he's, he has become a real factor in how United build up and move through midfield. He gives United both an option on the outside, but he's perfectly able to invert. And the, the things that like freak me out when I watch him in the team, exactly what we saw in the first half, right? He just didn't know how to, to, uh, well, he didn't, he didn't work out. He just needed to come inside a little bit more. Like and just close down that space because Villa had three or four good opportunities in that first half because he didn't do that. And partly that was Garnacho's fault for not covering at all. He's perhaps, I mean, we don't know, but he may also have been told to kind of try and stay yeah. wide. I mean, yeah, we never quite know what their instru- the instructions are. So, but I mean, he, like, he, he should be quite, yeah, he's physical, he's big and he's quite strong, he's quite fast. He's quite good on the... Yeah, he can do some really good stuff with the ball. We've seen him score some great goals. So I think with him, like with basically most players that have grown up of his age or whatever, they're all going to be good on the ball to have got to this level. It won't... It is never going to be anymore that you've got donkeys mm-hmm. in the team, really, proper donkeys. And so the, the thing that would end up separating the best from everyone else is consistency. And consistency is not just a technical thing, it's a mental thing as well. And... It is, I mean, I, I, yeah, he just having better players around him, having the same players playing near him all the time. Yeah. And United winning is helping him. And even before the cross for the goal, which was excellent, like as Tom and I said in his interview afterwards, he's just like, he said, the cross is so good, basically. He just had to mm-hmm. hit, let it hit him, make sure that it hit him and it would go in if it was on target. But yeah, he's not someone I now see the team. And I think, oh, for fuck's sake, man. I don't know if we've seen any post-match reaction from Ten Hag on what happened with Luke Shaw, but you know, talking about other the other fullback, if he's out for any length of time, that's going to be a major blow. I mean, Dallow at the moment is the only fit fullback because I don't know when Malassia is coming back, if he's ever coming back. Not even sure what his problem is. I don't think the club have ever said. Carl Anker says Luke Shaw's taken off at half-time as a precautionary okay. measure. Hopefully, so, hopefully. He's got, guess, got a week until the next game. It. Hopefully they're just being careful with him, as they should be. Does seem slightly strange that as as fairly crap as Sergio Reguilón is, that United let him go basically to save money, right? With no return in sight for <laughs> Malaysia. He was he. I actually think that Brentford's quite a good place for him because he'll get to play wing back quite a lot of the time. And I think that he's one. He's like a nearly player Reguilón, like great bursts, a bit of skill, but very rarely ends in a goal or an assist. I feel like Thomas Frank might might be able to get that, well, might have the time to be able to get that out of him. Think about United, he's not Tenoff's player. Um, there's all manner of other shit yeah. going on. There's probably a limit to the one-on-one coaching time he yeah. got in terms of how to help him be good. I wouldn't be surprised if Thomas Frank turns him into a really good player. Yeah, we'll see. It was quite funny this week since we're on him. Did you see uh, Michael Owen posted a picture of him with his 
now 18-year-old son saying, congratulations, son, on turning into a man. And he's an absolute spitting image of Sergio Reguillon. And Reguillon posts, dad, (laughs) question mark. Yeah. Just perfect. Yeah, yeah, that that was funny. I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, and it it is slightly of the decision there. I mean, I guess United were all, because they negotiated so hard to, to get that out clause that they expected Malassia to be back by now, and he's not. And I guess we don't know why. But at least Amrabat. At least Amrabat is. Oh, yeah, thanks. That's awesome. The uh, the 10 million United spent on that loan is looking great value for money. Uh, Do you know what I noticed about Amrabat? I noticed... That's so fucking bizarre. It's so uninteresting. I noticed he's got a very quite similar-shaped top of head to David Tennant from Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I'd, I'd never made that connection, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, we, you, there you go. You're Googling it now. Um, I will uh, do that as well. Yeah. No, no, I'm giggling it because I'm just saying, why did I? Call, I was just, why did I call David Ten- Neil Tennant David yeah. Tennant? We're kind of ruined my ruined my own. I was I can't really call that a punchline, but it's basically like an elongated head with like flat desk on the top. And uh, I didn't notice Sofian Amrabat had that, but I did notice today. I, I mean, the um, bald mafia at United is a real thing. Ten Hag, Mitchell Van der Gaag, Amrabat, David Brailsford, <laughs> like. It's uh, it's it's fully taken over. Like, what's wrong with hair, lads? You know. <laughs> anyway, where does this leave United now? I mean, I mean those those three games. If you took Liverpool, Arsenal, and City and just said, okay, we lost all three of those, that probably means United wouldn't have to win ten of the other eleven, which is perfectly possible. I don't think so. we will. I don't. I don't think we will lose all those games. So. No, I'm just saying you could throw them away. Take the old Sam Allardyce sort of gold, silver, bronze approach to to games and say, yeah, chuck them away and can United win 10 of the other 11? And do you, I remember the thing that, uh, do you remember when United, Neil Warnock was bitching about United resting players for the cup final when we lost to West Ham that time and Tevil scores in the game, I think Ronaldo, like, lots of good players played in that game. And what had happened earlier in the season that no one ever said to Warnock was Sheffield United had come to Old Trafford and basically thrown the game. So they'd done what United did, but with a live yeah. game without a cup final coming up. They're basically like, we're going to lose this anyway. So they picked the re- mainly the reserves. And United win like routine 2 0 or whatever it is, I think it was. And uh, yeah, Neil Warnock. But he's now, he's just gone to Aberdeen. He, he has, yeah. Which is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love, I love people that love football like that. He'll just keep coaching Where until he drops just, dead, won't he? It's just like, yeah, just the addiction to the buzz, like Roy Hodgson as well. Like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, we're not congruent on necessarily many football related things, but um, not least when he said something like he, his record in, Swe- in Sweden was like made him like Alex Ferguson and that it wasn't really fair that no one talked about it. But um, that was also 75 he, years yeah, ago like before, just, you know, we were able to see any football outside of the, these shores. It was just after, well, it was after he played in the apartheid South Africa. But it was, yeah, he, like, just the addiction to the buzz of football. Like, he just loves football, Roy Hodgson. So, yes, he's still doing it. And he's getting dogs abuse off the palace. They hate him. He's still doing yeah. it. And, it, and he's still doing it. Yeah. I mean, it must be frustrating for them because they'll do well to have Eze and Elise next season. And they're you know, having a bit of fun with them, but... A good, a better manager would get more out of them for the, probably the final twelve months that they've got. Yeah, they. I mean, it's a, it's slightly off topic, but they do have some problems because John Tester basically can't afford what he took on. I mean, he bought 
Palace or a majority share in Palace and in Lyon, and he's having an awful lot of financial trouble and may be forced to sell some of his assets in Lyon. And uh, nothing to do with UEFA and multi-party ownership or anything like that. He just can't afford it. And and so we'll, we'll yeah. see what ends up happening with Palace and whether he's able to sort his financial situation out. But it looked like they, as a club, were trying to move to uh, buy young, improve players and build a dynamic club like that, more of the sort of Brighton model. But then they decided to go back to Roy Hodgson, which is one of the weirder choices. Well, it was because they were trying to they were trying to save themselves from relegation. I mean, it didn't feel like they were ever going to go down, but that's what that's why. I mean, and I guess they'll get rid of Roy Hodgson at the end of the season. But I think, I mean, most clubs are going to pursue that method now. Mm-hmm. What we, we're going to see increasingly, I think, is clubs producing their own players much more so than before because there are so many more good players in the world now that every club can get good players when they're young, develop them, and get them good enough for whatever the level happens to be because there are just so many of them around. It's not, it's not that not really people doing because it's, like, it's the right thing to do or anything. It's just, it is a bit cheaper. You just take a massive trawl of kids, all the good kids in your area, and there'll be loads of them if you're in a big city, and some of them will mm-hmm. be good, and a few of them will be good enough. And United's, United's under-18s, they drew, they drew at the weekend to all with Derby, but I think they'd won like 10, that was the first points they dropped this season or something ridiculous. Like there, is, there are players in that team like, that, that will probably play for United, and it feels like you can say so with more certainty than ever before, whereas when you look back to the Fergie years, I mean, almost no one, really, apart from the class of 92. Mm. Then between the class of 92 and the end, you've got Darren Fletcher, John O'Shea, he, he, they signed, so he doesn't even really count. And where's Brown? And after that, is that is there anyone else? I think... I, no, Ravel didn't make it. Well, Lingard. Welbeck. Welbeck. Pogba. Well, yeah, all right. Well, uh, Pogba. Yeah, so sorry, I'm talking out my arse. But yeah, Welbeck, Lingard and Pogba. P- Lingard no, I, and McTee. Since since yeah. then, but I mean Lingard's not Fergie here. Lingard made his debut under Van Gaal, so actually I'm less of an arsehole, marginally less of an arsehole than I thought. <laughs> and who were the others? Pogba, yeah, Pogba's not not Pogba's not Fergie either. He leaves. <laughs> yeah, I was right. Yeah, needless to say, I had the last laugh. The the under 18s I can't remember what it, what it was. Was it 14 or 15 wins in a row? something like that before the draw against Derby. But there are, I mean, especially with Shay Lacey, Harry Amias, Amos, and a few others, they do look to have a, a, a load of really high-quality players in this group. And and, and, it, and all the other teams will be doing yeah, yeah, it as well. And, like, look at Liverpool. Oh, no, uh, yeah. They've got Jarrell yeah. Kwanzaa yeah. now, the fullback whose name escapes me, Alexander-Arnold already in the team. Like, it's just, I, th- I, think, I think we're going to see a lot of this, particularly from the big city clubs, because they've just got so many people. Uh yeah, and, so and the money. academy system's well bedded in now. Uh, every Premier League club has one, except for Brentford, um, which they decided that they didn't want to spend the money. But given given the regulation changes, and you can't just bring in uh, EU players now, there there will have to be a real focus and a shift. And I think they've done this at United's academy on on local players and and. Uh, and training them up. I mean, there's still the game that everyone plays around, like moving families. City do this a lot. In fact, actually, they were they were caught doing this because of all their leaked emails. They were caught having this discussion. Uh, I think it was a couple of, a couple of newsletters ago. I've mentioned this before, but Nick Harris, the 
former Mail on Sunday journalist as a substack, which is really excellent diving into the kind of murky world. But he did one on cities, not just cities, 115 charges, but exactly how they'd, they'd brought players into their youth setup by moving whole flam- families when they're basically and giving them jobs when they're definitely not allowed to do that. But United used to do this as well. The Be- Beckham's family would move up to Manchester and suddenly had an admin job or something like that. I mean, I may be talking on my ass with Beckham, but that kind of thing kind of basically happened on a nod, nod, wink, wink. I mean, it predates now. Like, Matt Bosby, Matt, Matt Bosby was not keeping the rules when he was recruiting the both yeah, true. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care that much about that stuff. It's, it's not... It's the stuff that perverts the, the course of competition that is, like, when you're talking like billions of players, billions of yeah. pounds on players and, and, and fiddling, and actual fiddling stuff. It feels like there's a difference between fiddling something and, like, doing something wrong, if you see what I mean. So you might... Yes, again, not a euphemism, but... <laughs> but no, no, absolutely right. I mean, the, the rules around youth recruitment are uh, to try and keep some kind of level playing field. Otherwise, the big clubs would just amass 15 players per position uh, by recruiting everyone because it's cheap to do it and you only need a couple of big sales to make it a, a profit centre, as Chelsea and City have both demonstrated very, very ably. But Chelsea, yeah, racy. Two business, basically running two businesses, yeah. Chelsea, previously, with a talent, a talent business and a football team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, no midweek game, but there is Luton next Sunday. Luton away. Wow. Have you ever, have you ever, did you ever be to, go to Kenilworth Road? Did you go to Kenilworth? I have not, I, no, have I haven't either. I don't think they weren't early 90s, were they around? It was the 80s that they were around in the. Uh, I went. I went to the League Cup final that they lost to Forest, which because someone um, someone at our school, like one of the parents, had got a bunch of tickets and there was a raffle. You paid like a, a hundred quid or whatever it would have been, I don't know, for a ticket. And you got a team. And if your team got to the League Cup final, then there would be enough tickets for all the people that had bought tickets for that team to go. My dad got Luton, so he went. And he found, and then on the day they found me a spare ticket, so I went. They they lost three one to Forest. Mick Harford scored for the Neil Webb scores for Forest, and looks like he's a good player. I mean, he almost was um, until he his leg fell off uh, playing playing for England. Yeah, I mean, well, Achilles injuries, Achilles injuries are bad. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so, he wasn't he quick, and one. then he he became extremely slow. Is he still a posty, Neil Webb? I'm sure we've talked about him before in the pod. I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know why he wouldn't be. And I mean, respect to him for doing what he, doing yeah, what he yeah. does. I, I mean, I, not, not, a fan as a, not a fan as a footballer particularly. I mean, the thing that United fans would always hate Neil Webb for is United are losing to Forest on Black Monday, Easter Monday, 1992. And he gets subbed and he walks off in funereal fashion yeah, with yeah. the goal required. His debut but, was the 4-1 against Arsenal, I think. I was at that game. I think I'm right in saying that. Maybe confusing things, but yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. He, he scores. He does. He didn't play well. Phelan played right. better than he did. He scores a great goal. Mike Phelan. Jeez, there was a player who didn't like the ball. Got rid of it as fast <laughs> as possible whenever he had it. Honest player, as they say. Anyway, Luton. I barely seen Luton this season. I watched their game for some weird reason against Newcastle last weekend. I probably had nothing better to do in my life, or uh, was it two weekends ago? And they did all right in that game. Uh, Think they lost it right at the end but they've they've made some progress in recent weeks right they've picked up some points uh i don't 
think they're bottom of the table anymore. I'm just having a look. No, they're 17th. Uh, they, uh, in theory, they could escape relegation. They're not as good a team as Everton. Uh, and I guess that... They're not as good a team as yeah. Everton. If ever there was a damning <laughs> team race. <laughs> and I suppose there's uh, there's still that kind of appeal that Everton are going to try and make against their first uh, their first set of charges. So I think what I, I always felt that Luton were the, the most likely of the promoted teams to stay up. I think I wrote it. I think you could, because I just, I thought I just always was interested to see what happened because the, the way that they play. I watched them, like they just long balled Sunderland out, out of the playoff semi final. Yeah. And, so, and, and so I was just, I thought that they might get enough points at home to stay up. And, and they might. I mean, they're obviously helped by the fact that the other two promoted teams are completely whack. So there are already two places that are, are yeah. gone. I think, I mean, it's a game that screams Harris Maguire, isn't it? <laughs> I, United, I mean, I, I tell you what, United are, I mean, I do worry from set pieces, but they, they were winning aerial duels against Villa. But what was also meant to say early was the delivery from set pieces yeah. was good. And it's not often uh, so. Scored from a corner, um, basically. We could, we could easily can score, concede twice against Luton, but it would be surprising if we couldn't score at least They've twice. scored the same number of goals as us, 33, but 10 of them are from set pieces. So that, that would point to a strength. Uh, which is one of United's weaknesses. So, yeah, definitely concerned there. Ross Barkley, I, I mean, he's kind of interesting player because he's probably been their best player this season, but he's basically playing as this kind of Frankie de Jong's deep-lying playmaker, if you can call him that, which has kind of been interesting. And obviously, Tender Mengi has been pretty good at the back for them. H-United player never quite breakthrough at United but you know who's been a good signing for them for I think it was like one million that everyone complained about for yeah, nothing yeah. yeah I mean Ross Barkley one of my favorite things in all football is Ross Barkley saying the kaku I think if you search my Twitter you'll be able to I, I think I found it I can't I did sit there through it Ross Barkley interviews because he has like one of the thickest scouse scouse accents yeah, ever he's yeah. great I mean he's we're interesting Ross Barkley because he's someone I thought could be brilliant when he broke when he first broke through I remember he has this great game at Newcastle and then maybe scores twice mm. running. And he's running from midfield like Gaza. It looks like it reminds me of Gaza, the way he's so powerful and protects the ball while he's running with it. And I'm thinking, how on earth did Moyes go to Everton and come back with Fellaini and not him? But he never quite developed and it felt like his brain was perhaps a little bit behind his skill level. But the position that he's playing now requires quite a lot of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of quite pleased for him because I think he's got a lot of talent. He became a bit of a joke where it was like, especially when he was at Chelsea and Sarri was it every after an hour, seventy minutes, every game with either Kovacic for um, him or him for Kovacic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come. On. I mean, obviously we should we should we should beat Luton, but what I like about them is that they'll make it a test. They'll make it a game. It'll be physical mm-hmm. and it'll be testing, and but we should be good enough to get that done. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll probably dive into that in even more depth in the midweek pod. I guess that is it for now. Backers, patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod. Uh, you can uh, get our extra show. This week we're going to talk about Rasmus Hoyland in a bit more detail. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash no question about that. And we're on. If it's the case that if people subscribe to us, then that, that that's what we want them yeah. to do. Please. please watch and subscribe. And, and, it, and it, you don't. Need- 
Do you have to watch? Well, you just have to subscribe. You know, if we're going to make any money out of ads that YouTube are already running, which we don't right now, they have to. We have to do something like four thousand minutes of watch time per month or something like that, which we are getting up to. But there are now fifteen hundred subscribers on that. We're almost in the big time, Dan. That is some platform. Oh, thank you guys. We appreciate it. And if you happen to fancy subscribing, please do. We appreciate all of you. We certainly do. And those those that support us on Patreon, stay tuned. Thanks a lot, everyone. Peace.